Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. I'm so excited that you guys are here. My name's Sophia. I started this podcast in the beginning of April and I got furloughed at the end of March. And quite honestly, it was so hard for me to comprehend and deal with that. I was like, I have two choices right now. I can start the podcast that I've always wanted to start or I can let this really deter me and start emotional eating and just sit on the couch and do nothing. And I decided to go with the first choice. And I'm so glad that I did because I've got to meet so many inspiring people from all over the world. And I hope that you guys see yourselves in some of these stories because I've just been having so much fun. This has been lighting me up so much. And I'm really glad that I put myself out there and decided to start it. You know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start it. And I'm so glad that I just did that. And I know as an introvert, it's been pretty hard to like put myself out there, talk in front of a camera, talk to all these people I don't know. But I feel like this has been such a growing experience for me. And I feel like I need to share that with you guys because maybe there's something in your life that excites you but kind of scares you at the same time. And maybe it's time to step into that. Today's guest is Lauren. I loved interviewing her. We talk about her journey and how she got into acting and really gave herself the permission to put herself out there and start performing. We talk about how she became a comedian and how she creates these characters and really embodies them and brings them to life throughout her skits. So let's get started. So thank you so much, Lauren, for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to getting to know your story. Love to know about your background, any career changes you've had so far. How did you get to the career path you're at right now? Well, it took a really, really long time for me to decide it's actually, well, I knew, I always knew in my heart what I wanted to do, but to, able to let myself do it. I grew up in Queens, New York, on an Italian American family and having like a creative career wasn't an option. Like I didn't even know how that even happened. It was stuff like people in the city did. Like it was nowhere near me. And, and so even I went to Wesleyan University, which was a very creative school. Even then I was expected to, even though it was a liberal arts college, I had a major in science. It was just like understood, maybe like get a career, benefits, pension. So it was, <laughs> I ended up like becoming a teacher. And like the thing is where you, who you are always like, always follows you. And I wasn't emotionally ready to act before then and and be on stage and so I I don't like regret not starting sooner because I was not ready there was like a lot of things I had to go through like coming out just being comfortable with who I was dealing with trauma like all that stuff needs to be done and then when I was ready I finally it like it just came you know it just kept coming to me no matter what I would like which way I would turn it'd be like performing is the thing I love to do the most um, and even when I was a teacher, the, I ended up like creating this like persona of a science teacher to help keep the kids in check. I was teaching high school, only a few years older than a lot of my students. So I was in like a rough part of rough school. I love my school, but you know, the kids, you have to keep them in check. So I was, um, created this whole science, his persona. And so, um, you know, again, performing. And then I went to India on a fellowship. I was like, kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm going to go to India and do some, like, I thought I would do like nonprofit work again, always thinking I had to do something that had like some sort of like clear career path with like a job attached at the end. 
And so it was like, oh, I'm going to do public health. And then I'll do like performing on the set, like performing through public health. Like I was like doing mental gymnastics, trying to like figure out ways instead of just being like, let me just be a performer. Um, and so um, I was in India two days after I got there. Someone's like, and let me introduce you to my friend, of fa- friend of the family. And she's a dance teacher. And she's like, kind of just like wrote me into taking dance classes with her. And then I was like a junior level Bharatanatyam dancer. So like things like that kept happening to me. And then I thought, well, you know what, if like I went to Bombay fashion week and like all this like cool stuff happened when I was there. And I was like, I love the industry. Like, this is so, I don't know what I want to do, but I want to be able to express myself. So then I came back to New York full speed ahead. Like I'm going to be a performer. I'm going to figure it out. And I didn't know what that meant. There was no clear cut like path before me. I just knew I wanted to create something unique and speak on stage. And because I had such like, I, I didn't come from like a very much like active conservatory. And then you like audition for casting agents, like that kind of life. I just was able to make something totally different, which was hard because I kept getting reminded how different I was. And then I was not go, oh, we, oh, interesting, interesting, interesting. And then also on top of that, like being queer and like, then like my first agent was basically like, just saw me as only playing lesbian parts. And like that's, I mean, like I got the dirt from his assistant. It was like, I have to kind of admit, he's only really gonna bring you in for that. And just getting people to like, see that I can do other things. And they're like, you're like, um, just like street person. And like, I don't present that way at all. Like no one knew how to, how to deal with me. Cause I, I, I'm many different things at once and which I really needed to become is what I'm doing now. And when that is, I create characters, very unique characters. And now people ask me to be part of their projects as an actor because of what I do. Like that's, I think one thing it took me so long to figure out is that people ask you, you will, be able, like people will hire you as an actor for the things that you're strongest at. And so just do those things. And then the rest kind of takes care of itself. And that's scary to say, and I hate when people say that shit, but like, it's true. (laughs) It's true. You just gotta like, really like know what your strengths are. And you just have to do that because as many times as I try to like fit into this mold of like what an actor should be, I think like some people bought it and I did like lots of lovely things, but I think it wasn't like, it wasn't, it was only going to go so far because it wasn't honest to everything I was meant to do. And so it was like, I had to basically push myself into doing what I'm doing now. It was always like a side thing, like creating characters and doing stuff. And then it just started to become a bigger and bigger thing. Um, I was doing solo shows and, um, and that was a big, and then I discovered stand up, and I was like, this is it. Like, comedy is like this container in which I can do all this weird shit that I like to do. And it gets registered and understood instead of being misunderstood and like thrown to the side. And how did you get into performing? Have you always been like a performer? Yes. Like, people say, like, you should do the thing you were doing when you were 10. And uh, the thing I was doing when I was 10 was in my living room. Um, Basically, I was in my living room writing shows and performing them. And I now often, like my, my second solo show, I was actually performing in living rooms. So that was like the thing you do when you're 10. It's a thing you should always do. So it was like always there. But then, you know, 
puberty, like being not like not fitting in, feeling weird, like that kind of got subsumed into like playing sports and trying to be tough. And then, you know, I was in college and like so many ideas of like what people wanted me to be. And it's, I'm a very independent spirit. And it just took so long for me to be able to like, like, even though performing, as I said, kept coming up and then I needed to like, just go for it and like, let it happen. And how do you like come up with your characters? Have you used any of the characters that you used when you were 10? Do you use any of them now? Um, I don't. I don't. But I feel like I most, if I think back then, I was more like making, remaking musicals at that point. Um, so, and oh, I was, the, the zaniness stays. Like I did write a, play, a screenplay and we shot it in my mom's living room um, using blankets as costumes, a remake of Gone with the Wind. And that was just based on me looking at all of these. She has, we're from Queens, we're Italian. She has all these like plates on the wall <laughs> from Gone with the Wind. You know, those cheesy plates you buy in QVC. So she had them all over the wall. And I just thought like, and like, what did my mom, this like Italian woman from Brooklyn, like have any identification this like cunty woman from Gone with the Wind. I don't understand it, but like, whatever. The whole like Gone with the Wind thing. I don't get it. Um, maybe I do, but that's a whole other conversation. But anyways, so then they, there were these plates and I just thought about like what each of those characters might be thinking. And then I wrote a play based on that. Like a play, I never seen Gone with the Wind, but I wrote based on their their characters. So I think the the concept of taking um, strands of what I see in reality and putting them into a character like, remains and so what like what's different about what I do with characters is that I think of something that like it usually comes from some sort of like anger point or something I'm like trying to think about like and trying to understand in my mind so like I Italian women are pretty intense and so I had like a lot of warring factions in my family there was always like who's not talking to who so what I did is I created two warring Italian grandmas based on different people in my family and so um, the one is the drinker, the other is a complainer. All, a lot of people are a lot of both, but um, that was like based on just be, not looking like anyone in my family. I was always the outsider. So I was perennially the outsider. So I, I am tall and I have like lighter features and my family's all like the cast of The Sopranos and Goodfellas, like that's my fam. And so I always felt like an outsider. And so that gave me like a perspective to like look out. So then I saw the way women were treating each other and the misery they were bringing on themselves. And then I created those characters to say something about that. And so like, then I think about, I was thinking about ageism in the queer community that was thinking about like a lot of conversation about TERFs and the trans community and like thinking about that interplay and like how people were treating each other. And I created a character named Judy and that's someone who's coming, been coming out later this year. So, and then I just like wrote some sketches about her and developed her and and then film them and you know worked on worked on it that way um so usually it's something that i think of i'm thinking and then melania came out like i started i was encouraged to do an impression of her and then it got a great response but also as i started to study her and understand like oh my god they they use her to gaslight the american public and it's more, more insidious than we even know because they do it like subtly. And that gave me the impetus and the drive to like invest heavily in Melania. And I have an Instagram channel and now we're on TikTok and I wrote a book and we had a tour set up before COVID, but we wrote a touring show and like 
so it comes from like, I, I'm a satirist, like at heart where I'm just, it comes from a point of like concern and also uh, like observation and like anger about it. Like this isn't, this is crazy shit. So I'm going to say something about this. And so that, that is what, what drives it. How long do you like study a character for? It depends. Like some people, it just kind of, I like I've known them for a while, but I think it does take like about three months, honestly. Um, yeah, because right now I'm working on Ivanka and I thought like Ivanka Trump and I thought, oh, be easy. And that's like, no, it's not. So it takes me a while to like, it's a real life person. I'm reading about them. If it's someone like Judy, I'm looking at videos of the period and reading books and trying to understand like the psychological profile of what that person's going through. And then I just start to think about like how they sound and then do some like work on that and how they move and what they're thinking and what their backstory is. I start to create this person. And then like with a real life person, it's sometimes easier because it's given to you. Like it's literally all there and you just have to like mine from it. Like there's so much you can mine just from the sound of someone's voice. Um, and so and how they stand. And so I'm, I'm mining all that information and I'm thinking about it at that point because what happens is my tendency is I get mired in it and I could just want to research in my Garbo project. I had, had that problem. I had people had to help me dig me out because I was like so mired in the research. I just get so into it. I'm like a super nerd. So I'm like, oh, so interesting. So I have to have the discipline to think about what's the take? What am I trying to say? And then using all that information to help me say that thing instead of making it a lecture. It's not about like communicating what I know. It's communicating what I think about what I know. Like what my opinion is, what I'm trying to get across. Because at heart, it's satire. It's, it's giving a take on something that you know about. And how do you like test out your skip, skits? Would you test them out like comedy shows? Now are you testing them out through like videos? and? Yeah. yeah. So now it's like, oh, yeah, stage is the best way to test out everything. I've, um, Melania especially has gone tested on, I started doing stand-up as Melania. And so that was an incredible way to develop that character. Like, in, like I would do it again now with Ivanka. What am I going to do? Um, one way is I can do it on lives. I can go on live like a Instagram community at Lauren Logi, L-O-G-I. And what I can do is go, go there and be able to share. I do my first 20 minutes of my live. I do every Monday at 10 PM and I do a character. And so to kind of work things out. And sometimes it like works better when I don't totally know the character yet. Like if I'm just, I'm doing this influencer character now who doesn't get a name because she doesn't deserve one yet. So <laughs> we're doing like, like, hi everyone. Hey guys. So today, like she has that kind of, that's what I started. That sound, that fucking sound that I can't stand from influencers. Hey guys. So today. And then it kind of like goes from there. And I developed it, been developing it on Instagram live and just by improv with the people like jumping in and it's um, actually really helped. So sometimes doing things and seeing what people are responding to and commenting, that's also really, really helpful. Sometimes I go to different teachers I know and people that give me feedback. That's really helpful. But I think more and more I am crowd testing because that is just the best. The audience matters most. And I think sometimes you can get caught in like trying to meet the expectations of a teacher who has a specific way of thinking. And my work is so absurd that it like is threatening to some people in like the theater community. And like they might poo poo it a little because it's a little bit, it's broad some sometimes. And 
you know, I'm using the internet in different ways and people get there by that. So I try to audience audience. It doesn't matter if the audience loves it. It's the right thing. And damn the people who want to just try to say like, Oh, you have to be that it's too broad or it's too much, you know, like, fuck you. Like it doesn't matter. The audience likes it. That is the main thing. And I also like, you know, work really hard on it. So I know I'm like, there's work behind it. Like, I'm not saying to throw on a wig and do a character. Please don't. That's terrible. And it's like, everyone who knows what they're doing knows that shit. But like, you have to have like craft, but also you have to please the audience. If you just want to please yourself, like, I don't know, that's that's something you can do. Enjoy that. But it's the audience that matters. And do you dress up for each character and make them all different and go in costume for each one? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I get really into the makeup and the costume. Actually, later today, we're going to be making a fat suit. And that's just for this. <laughs> I have a character named Gigi that we've shot this. We shot it at school, but now we, we need to shot reaction shots and we were going to get students to do it. And then we realized we, you're not going to be able to do that for a long time. So I'm playing all the students and so and the teachers and I have to make. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I have to make a fat suit. So I have to later, we're going to make that from a quilt. So yes, I get very into the details of the physical because I think that does communicate something about the psychological. So I do that. And I do it mostly myself through YouTube tutorials. I'm not a makeup person. I do like, I always like put when I figure something out, like for a character, I make a YouTube tutorial about it. Cause it's like, I'm a spaz and I'm going to show you how to do this. Cause this is, <laughs> I don't know how to do anything. Okay. So this is how we do it. <laughs> And going back to, you, you always knew you wanted to perform, but what do you think yeah. really gave you the permission to start performing and start going all in in this? Yeah, I think the permission is such a great word because that's like, that's the, was the problem is I just wasn't able to give myself like permission to, to move forward. And I think, I think it was, I had like a lot of death. I think that's something that my godmother my first cousin who I was close with and my, and my grandmother who I was close with all died within 10 months of each other. And that was just an impetus. Like I have to, there was so much love that I lost. I had to feel like I have to do something with my life because it can, it can be over so quickly and unexpectedly in some of these circumstances. And then I was in India and the, the, like things can be really stark. You just have to like, like ask yourself, like, do you, do you want to die not having done what you really want to do because you're wasting your time? Like every day you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're wasting your time and you don't have much. And we're getting closer to death at every second. And, and you just have to, that's what compels me. Like um, in Hamilton, they say, like, why do you write like you're running out of time? Like I feel like that all the time. Like I'm creating like I'm running out of time. Uh, and that's because I always feel like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to this world. And like, I just feel such a need to like share that and like use humor to like open people's hearts a little more, maybe brighten people's days a little more and, and try to like heal us in this, in this insanity and try to bring some light to it um, through like, you know, satire and poking the fun and making fart jokes sometimes, but I feel like it helps in some way. I try to help. And what helped you get through like losing all three of them? Therapy. <laughs> Remember I said I wasn't ready to act? Well, that's kind of be on stage. 
because I wasn't ready to like be one with my feelings, my feelings. <laughs> so I was just so guarded and so anxious and all the time that the thought of being on stage and being vulnerable would have been like, would have brought me into psychological breakdown. So then when I finally had people die in my life and like had to just face my own mortality and face like what I've done in my life and the trauma and also like the, the unexplored like hurt that pushed me to do that. And then like the more, like really like a lot of my characters are like about like pieces of myself, like what I'm thinking about. And when, like when I was working on my Greta Garbo solo show, I was thinking about connection all the time. And even Melania, like I think about too, like, thinking about like how you get ahead in life, like making peace with that, like life choices and, and what makes you a bad person. Um, it doesn't make you a bad person for, for getting things in life that um, just kind of happened by accident. So that, that like forced me to, to like really be, be that those things forced me to like, um, to think about things in a more deeper way. So that those are like, like, so now I know that that's part of the process, but I didn't then. So I like, you know, death, like forced me to deal with it so that I can act. And then once I was like, was able to feel that that wasn't so terrifying anymore. I love it. Now I I don't want to get off stage. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, that's how I figured it out. And what tips would you give someone who wants to get on stage, but they can't? Or they're worried or they're scared. Worried. I think you just got to do it and you got to figure it out. Like maybe if you have just such an irrational fear, I'd consider therapy. MDR therapy is great for like getting over stuff. Um, and I think just get yourself to an open mic because it does not matter what people in that room think at all, at all, at all. And go. So if you don't like I, what I've done a lot when I'm testing new things is I go where no one can find me. So I go to an open mic, I'll drive somewhere that's like super out of the way. And I do an open, I do, do a set there and try things out because it doesn't matter. Like those people will never see me again. Maybe they'll like kind of remember me like, well, that weird person who came and did something, but like, it's not, it's not going to matter. And so that's, if, if I had any advice to anyone who wants to perform, it's like start performing and find places to hide. If you're really scared and you want to try stuff out, cause it's not going to matter what people think when you go hide. And also for trying new things and, and trying to do different things, like it's points for bravery because, because the people who want to do the same old shit, like are forgettable. And if they remember you enough to like, maybe point out how they didn't like what you did, that's great because it's really bad to be unmemorable. That's, that's the worst. That's what you never want to do. Be memorable and have people actually hate what you do. And how do you like keep your audience engaged during your skit? And like, how long does it take to like come up with one skit? Cause it seems like there's a lot of detail that goes into one skit. Yeah. Well, once you, so once I have like a character, like the hard part is a character. After you get that down, you know, the take, you know what you're trying to say, you know, like how they behave, what they think. Like Melania is like, I can make so many at a time. And now I'm writing with someone, Jesse Snedden, who's a standup. And so for us, like we can just write, like a handful, like a dozen in a week. Like if we're really writing hard, we just know that like, it's so easy. Like we're, we've actually made too many videos right now. Like we have like a plethora, we have so many videos. Like we have to like, maybe we were kind of like slowing down writing so we could just catch up on editing them. So once the hard part is getting the character, the easy part is then just like 
putting them out. And then you want to look at what the audience is thinking and like how they're responding. And that's hard. That's really hard because it's not often like what you want to be doing. And so you have to like, you know, I do one for them, one for you. Like, and I'm not saying like ones that aren't entertaining at all, but like for instance, TikTok, I'm like on TikTok. So the one for them is like a stupid dance that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm like a college graduate and I'm doing this, but you just got to do it. And then you get the good joke and the people who are really your fans will like the good joke. But the most people, as you know, if you're on TikTok, just want you to do a stupid thing and just do the stupid thing. And how do you, how do you like come up with a good joke? Do you have like a template? Do you have like different things? Do you just like think of something and you're like, Oh yeah, that would work. Yeah. Um, well, you're just kind of writing it all the time. You're thinking about like, I mean, co- comedy it comes from pain and anger. So you're just thinking about like what pisses you off. So in the morning, like all I could speak to like Melania specifically, I get up and then we're, um, Jesse and I both independently are looking through the headlines and we're looking through, I read Donald's tweets every morning, fucking kill me. I know every time Melania tweets and I know what's going on with them. And I'm thinking like, what could we do with that? Or what Melania would, what would Melania say that to that? And Jesse has a secret service character. So we're like, what would he say to that? And then I, if I think if it's something that they, in their territory, cause they tend to both talk about like the similar things, then I'll think about like, well, their unique take is just funny often. And so then we just think about that. And then it's about honing the jokes as you go. If you create a character that's funny, the jokes kind of write themselves often. And what is something lighting you up right now? Oh, well, I think what's lighting me up right now is figuring out like um, Melania, inside Melania, it was like a huge learning curve. It's my first book. And I think Figuring out, like, if we're in a pandemic, my whole, the whole plan to sell books is to, like, do a show and sell them afterwards. Well, and after November, I don't know if there's even a market for this book anymore. So I don't think that the Trumps are going away anytime soon, but, you know, hopefully they go away in a big way. So figuring out that is awesome. Like, I loved making the audiobook for this. It was so fun because I was able to bring my other characters in with it it's a collection of essays and some of them are in different people's voices. So then I just made the characters come in and be those voices. And that was really, 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 really fun. And it was fun. Like most audiobooks are just like read out, but because we had like a lot of fun, fun things to read. For instance, I did an adaptation of a monologue by Ruth Draper, who is someone who was doing characters in the 1910s and through my old Hollywood research, that's why I knew she was. And so I've, um, looked at, I've listened to her monologue called The Secretary. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny to have Donald's secretary and do an adaptation and have her like on the phone with the mistress and the ex-wife and the current wife and like everyone's kind of. <laughs> um, so um, I was able to do that. And then we were able to put, put like sound effects in for that and like put make put background noise and make it like a whole scene instead of just um, just, you know, just some sort of read straight audiobook it's it's like a an audio environment so that that is really lighting me up right now it's super fun and every day is like thinking about like right how do I share this with more people um that that in itself is is really artful in a way because you're thinking about like how do I bring this message and the thing something I'm really proud of to more people and did you self-publish the book I have a small publisher out of Chicago called Eckhart Press. They're really great. They push me like a lot of people would have pushed this to be a book of just like funny quotes, 
that kind of that's like more marketable to have something someone can like be at a cash register and see like Melanie going, oh, you know, do, 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 just whatever saying something about like, oh, I didn't, I didn't ma- marry Donald for a green card. I married him for a black card, the card, Mm-mm, you know, which is funny, but like, it's not more what I want to say. You know, I think I've done enough more research. I can say more intricate things. Um, and so they really pushed me to be able to do that. That's your voice. Let it be heard. I'll do that. So I really, I really appreciate that about them. How long did it take you to write the book? <sighs> well, about a year. And I kept thinking I was done at various points. <laughs> and then I was like, no, <laughs> I got a lot more to do. So just learning about like, you need to have outside eyes telling, tell you like what else, where else you need to bring your book and how you need to, to form it. And that was really, really important um, in, the, in the process. So it's about a year and it'll probably take like another 10 months to more, six months, more months of marketing it. Cause after November, like I'm not sure, like I said, so, so yeah, that that's, and then that's about like about right, about right for, and according to Tim Ferriss, he talks about this. You have to make it a very big priority for like for for a year or two. And what is something that most people don't know about you? Ah, that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure what people know and what people don't know because I feel like I'm pretty I'm pretty open. Um, hmm, what people don't know about me? <laughs> I um drink too much coffee sometimes, but that's everyone. That's lame. I got to think of something better than that. Um, I read the New York times. Okay. In paper. Here it is. I was reading before in paper on paper. Yes. I, I actually read it and I turn pages and then get this. This is going to shock, shock everyone. If I see an article and I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. I think so. And so we'll like it. I cut it out with scissors and then I put it in an envelope and I send it in the mail. <laughs> so if you end up being my friend and I know your address, you will receive an article from me at some point. <laughs> That's so funny. And what is something that you're learning right now? Um, oh, learning of how to speak like Ivanka Trump. Oh my God. It's really hard because she's these two boring factions. I think within her, it's like this, it's like, southern california like dude kind of thing going on like yesterday like that that like the one woman like kind of that in her mouth like just californian kind of and then she has this elevating part of her speech where she tries to speak try tries to speak very matter-of-factly and so it's very interesting. And then she also has a glottal fry, which a lot of influencers have. She does that at specific moments when she's trying to not seem so powerful, but saying something she knows that no one will like. So she's yeah. Annoying. yeah. How do you get like the voices down? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> well, it's listening to stuff. Um, that's helpful. Um, the trickier ones, I won't get a coach because I think it's a great way to 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 get it out it makes it go faster sometimes melania i did on my own i just sat there and i listened to his speech i I transcribed it and i listened to the same thing over and over she really speaks she does not speak um down the line anything she's very um because she's lived all over the world and that's like many people greta garbo too i did have someone help me 
Um, and he was helpful in like, this is, these are the traditional Swedish sounds, but Garbo didn't speak that way, but it was nice to like know that. So I think part of it is listening to tapes over and over. Now, when I don't have that, I don't know. It just kind of comes within like, like Judy speaks like this. I don't understand why she made me speak like that. But one day she was working on my text and all of a sudden I told her to speak like this. And I don't know what, why, but that just, it happens sometimes. So some things you just can't explain, I guess. And what motivates you? Um, I think motivates me is always um, about needing to tell uh, my story. I wanted people to understand um, and seeing so much pain in the world and, and wanting that, to change that through, through what I do. And that really gets me fired up when I see injustice. I definitely am someone who likes to fight for the underdog and I get really fired up when people are um, assholes for no reason. So, or the reasons okay. that they think are just and they're stupid. So. Can I ask how old you are? Ah, uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what were your twenties like? Yes. So yes. <laughs> Thank God I'm past those. Um, okay. <laughs> oh my God. Like I was saying, it was a, like basically what I told you about like learning to become an actor and like letting myself was the arc of my twenties. Like not just feeling like shit. Like I don't, I don't know what, what else to do. Just, just this tumultuousness of like, always like looking up, never feeling settled. Not now you don't feel settled now at all, but always feeling like I'm doing the wrong thing. And I, and I was often. So that was like a, like a tune in to myself if I would have just listened to myself, but that I wasn't ready. So I think it was like a matter of like getting grounded and getting okay with like what, what I, um, what I want to do. And I, I think that is like, I guess what I would, like I have my cousins and stuff will like ask me about the, like really just keep trying to find a thing you want to do and go after it relentlessly. Like when people give up on their dreams, it breaks my fucking heart. Be relentless. Like, and you can, you can do like, listen, like certain things are not going to happen the way you think they will, but it will lead you to something better. And you just have to like be really one with, with who you are and like keep digging and finding out. And like, we're always kind of in that process. just like getting deeper and like find out. Um, but don't give up. Even if it seems impossible and you don't know anyone. I went into show business only one person in show business and I figured it out. Like you can figure it out. Don't give up on yourself. And it's never like a fuck. If I had to hear one more person telling me I'm like 27 and I feel like time's running out. And I'm like, what? Like, it's too late for me. I already went to school for blank and blank and I want to do this, 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 and this, and my heart's really into it. But I just feel like I've already, no, 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 no. I like, there's my friend interviewed this woman who was 60 and became a psychologist. So unless you were 65 and you have that problem, and I still think it's not too late for you, you're under 60 then, that's the new bar. You can do what you want to do. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Um, I hope you, and, and, and if anyone's interested in Inside Melania, it's insidemelania.com. You can find me at laurenlogi.com, L-O-G-I. And to make life easy, I am Lauren Logi all over the internet on every platform. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.